The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. As we continue to follow the absolute tragedy that is taking place in Texas with power outages, people without hot water, people without heat, people struggling to get food. Uh, We talked yesterday about Republican Texas Governor Ted Cruz flying off to Cancun with his family to hit the beach. That was Ted Cruz's approach. Beto O'Rourke, former Democratic Senate candidate and presidential candidate, um, uh, decided instead to phone bank and call elderly folks to see if they were okay. But he also is making some very appropriate and very harsh comments about Texas leadership, actually going as far to say that Texas is approaching failed state status. Uh, Beto O'Rourke said, first of all, so much of this was avoidable going back to the deregulation of our electric grid here in Texas, which has actually created an incentive to not weatherize or protect against these events. uh, Beto O'Rourke, absolutely right. As we've told you before, in 2011, Texas had power outage issues. Uh, An extensive report was compiled saying, do these things to protect yourselves in the future. They weren't done and it happened again. Absolute negligence by Republican leaders in Texas. But then Beto O'Rourke going further and saying the energy capital of North America cannot provide enough energy to warm and power people's homes. We are nearing a failed state in Texas, and it has nothing to do with God or natural disasters. It has everything to do with those in positions of public trust who have failed us. People have died in Texas and tens of thousands are still in the dark and cold. And you would think maybe they'll change their tune on going it alone and separating from federally managed power grids. Maybe they would change their tune on climate change doesn't really mean anything because as climate science predicts, you have erratically hot and erratically cold weather events that are part of a broader shift in climate, often to the warmer. But that doesn't mean you don't have outrageously cold or erratic snowstorms in places that don't typically have them. And of course, if you try to bring that up, Texas Republicans will now hide behind that tired old trope. This is not the time to politicize a tragedy is what they will say. Well, it also wasn't the time to politicize it in 2011 when this happened and you got a report saying, hey, here's what you should do. Uh, And you did nothing about it. So I'm glad that Beto O'Rourke is saying these things. I worry, however, that he is sort of yelling into the void because there are so many Republican Texas officials, Ted Cruz, former Governor Rick Perry, current Governor Greg Abbott, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. These people don't seem willing or remotely interested in seeing reason. Uh, Let's hope let's hope that by Monday we have better news about the circumstances for uh, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or even at the sort of top top level, millions of Texans that have been affected by this. Uh, Okay, there was a complete total softball pandering brown nosing interview that Donald Trump did on Fox News with Sean Hannity on Thursday night. Let's look at some clips. We'll jump right into it. The sort of framework here was Donald Trump doing a media tour because of the death of radical right wing radio host Rush Limbaugh. Reminder, Rush Limbaugh celebrated the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, celebrated the deaths of AIDS victims in the 90s. Not a good guy. Trump calling in and Hannity starts in with, you know, Mr. President, sir, 
it was such a great idea to give Rush Limbaugh the Presidential Medal of Freedom. How did you come up with such a great idea? Total suck up. Let's take a listen. A true original. Joining us now on the phone is President Donald Trump. Mr. President, I know that the honor of his life came from you and what that Medal of Freedom meant to him. I know the behind the scenes story. I know I know who made the first call to me anyway was Matt Drudge and and Jared Kushner. And um, and I know you made your decision and with Melania there in about five seconds. And you said that's a great idea. Tell us about it. Well, it was an idea that we had that a lot of people suggested to me, frankly, a lot of great uh, people of our country, largely Republicans. It was an amazing night because the Republicans went wild and the Democrats sat there, but they all respected Rush. And I think it was, you know, one of the great honors of his life, Presidential Medal of Freedom. It's a big deal. And he uh, he was very honored by it. And he was a great gentleman, just like Mark said. I, I listened to Mark, and you know, Mark is so terrific. But you know, he said he's special, and Rush was really special. He was a very special guy. And you said irreplaceable, and it's true. He's irreplaceable. Again, Trump deciding that the thing he gave Rush was the thing Rush was the most honored by. Trump needs that to be true for his own narcissism. And he keeps repeating that the right loves Rush and the left respected Rush. I don't know anyone on the left that respected Rush Limbaugh. I don't know anyone on the left who would have respect for people who celebrate the deaths of people with AIDS or celebrate the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. These aren't mere political differences about what the tax rate should be, where you say, hey, you know what? We disagree, but I respect their point of view. Cheering AIDS deaths has nothing respectable about it. It is a bizarre thing for Donald Trump to keep repeating. Then Hannity goes into even more sucking up to Trump and Trump again reveals that the thing he really likes about Rush is that he supported Trump. That's all Trump cares about. You know, there's this a side of you that I know a lot of Americans don't know. And I know many people that this story holds true for. And I know in the case of Rush, and when Rush had his diagnosis a little over a year ago, uh, I knew you were calling him regularly, minimum of once a month, often much more than that. And you would always be checking in with, how are you feeling? How are the treatments? How's everything going? And I'm, I know you talk to him a lot. What were those conversations like? Well, it was interesting because I didn't know Rush at all. As you know, I didn't know him at all until I had gotten word that from somebody that Rush was with us all the way. He was, you know, we have this guy who was so big on radio. I, I knew a lot about Rush, but I didn't know him. And he was with me all the way, and it was uh, sort of incredible. I got to know him after that, and uh, he was much different, actually. You know, when you were, he was a very, very, um, uh, I wouldn't say not outgoing, but he was very, very warm. He was just a very warm person. And, and, you know, when people got to know him, I loved playing golf with Rush. And I, was a, I used to call him the bull because he was actually a very strong guy, physically very strong guy. And he hit the ball a long way. When he hit it, it went a long way. And, uh, but you got to know him and, and, he, and he loved this country and he loved his wife. All the things Trump says about Rush, his ratings, 
his ability to do a radio show, all that stuff. It would all be equally true, even if Rush didn't support Trump. But you and I know that if Rush was an anti Trump Republican who died, Donald Trump would not be doing this. Donald Trump doesn't have friends. The only thing that matters to Trump is, are you a brown nosing sycophant? If so, I'll call you a friend until you say the wrong thing. And then I say you're, you know, uh, what's that lightweight? As he often says, what you do, <clears throat> what you do for me and what you've done lately is all that matters to Donald Trump. Let's look at a little bit more of this. Here is Sean Hannity with just a stunning brown nosing of Trump saying, uh, hey, here were Russia's top issues. These are your issues as well, sir. Mr. President Trump on Russia's show today. And I was listening um, before I began my radio program and they played a segment of Rush. And in that segment, he said, If you took tapes of him when he started in 1988 in syndication, again, nobody thought that that anyone can syndicate during the daytime and be successful. And and he proved all the naysayers wrong. And if you look at where he stood, conservative justices, liberty, freedom, less government intrusion, intrusion, less regulation, less taxes, lower taxes, energy independence, secure borders, Choice in schools, the Second Amendment, free and fair trade, peace through strength. Sound familiar? Because that's your agenda. Yeah. That's what you did. He was right there. He understood it. He got it. And he's been that way for a long time. You know, he hasn't been somebody that's changed. He didn't go from being a liberal to being a conservative. I mean, he was there from the beginning, and uh, he hasn't changed. His views hadn't changed very much. And his audience, as you know, better than probably anybody, the loyalty of his audience was just incredible, staggering. It's actually interesting and sad how never changing your views is seen as a badge of honor in some circles on the right and on the left. And as I've said many times, having the exact same views for 50 years likely means you're not learning anything. Now, I want to be really clear. I don't mean it's typical for, say, a 40 year old, not talking about anyone in particular, for a 40 year old to have a complete political awakening and 180 degree reversal where all of a sudden they denounce everything they stood for for 40 years and say I was wrong all along and I'm actually a right wing nut. Okay, that raises red flags and it suggests to me grifting. But what I'm talking about is saying your views haven't changed at all for 40, 50 years as if it's a badge of honor. Look at how much we've learned about life and humanity and the planet in 50 years. How could your views not change over that period of time? Even my views on many issues are modified and adjusted and updated to account for new things that we know. It's sad and it doesn't bode well for the country to see that praised as a badge of honor. Just one more clip here. Hannity explaining what might have been so damaging to Kaylee McEnany. Listen to this. Your own Kaylee McEnany, I mentioned earlier, tweeted that, you know, she was a rush baby. Her dad would be listening in the car. And it and it shaped her viewpoint to conservatism. Uh, And he did that for so many of us and so many around the country. Um, I want to thank you. Um, I appreciate you being on the program. I know I I read your statement the other day and I know you said in the in the months ahead, you have a lot you want to tell us. And we won't do it tonight, obviously. But when that when that time comes, we're looking forward to hearing what your future plans are. And um, what you are planning to do, uh, I have a funny feeling we're going to hear a lot more from Donald Trump. Are my instincts correct? 
Well, there's a lot to talk about, and uh, our country is a great place, and we're going to make it even greater, as the expression goes. But uh, we have a lot to talk about. But today's all about Rush, don't you think? And (laughs) so Hannity mentions there that growing up as a little kid, Kaylee McEnany, Trump's former press secretary, would have Rush Limbaugh playing in the background because that's what her dad listened to. You know, that explains so much. And that is a cautionary tale not to have radical right wing radio playing in the background when you are trying to raise well adjusted kids. A, a real lesson in parenting there. Uh, so Trump back on Fox News. There it is. We'll see what role Trump plays or doesn't play in the Republican Party going forward. And you can let me know your thoughts about Trump's return to the airwaves. I'm on Twitter at D Pacman. The David Pacman Show at davidpacman.com. I want to take a second to tell you about one of our sponsors, SNH Masks. SNH Masks has everything you need when it comes to face masks and other protective gear for COVID-19. And they're giving my audience 20 percent off. SNH Masks is the company that I've personally been going to for face masks. I love and trust the products they sell. And that's actually why I reached out to them about being a sponsor. I've tried tons of different face masks this year, like many of you. And I still have not found a mask that is more comfortable or easier to breathe in than the washable cotton masks that they sell. It's made of a silky, lightweight cloth that feels great on the skin, has a convenient adjustable strap. They also have disposable cloth masks, which are really comfortable, as well as all of the other gear like face shields, alcohol wipes, no touch infrared thermometers. And all of their prices are very reasonable. I also love SNH masks because they've donated over 60,000 masks to healthcare institutions. They're an excellent company. Shipping is just five bucks and shipping is free on orders over one hundred and fifty dollars. You can get there by going to davidpackmancom slash mask. The link is in the podcast notes and you can save 20 percent on everything in their store when you use coupon code David. One of our sponsors today is Helix Sleep, and it's a sponsor I'm thrilled about because I sleep on a Helix mattress at home and it's just the perfect mattress. One of the best things about Helix is you don't have to guess which mattress do I need, which one will be good for me. You take their famous sleep quiz on their website. You tell them your body type, your sleeping position, your back pain issues you might have, and they will pair you with a mattress that will be perfect for you. I took the sleep quiz. The mattress they suggested was exactly what I needed. I often get too hot at night. The mattress keeps me cool. It's not too soft. It's not too firm. The texture is right. And I've just been getting way better sleep. You only buy a mattress every decade or so. Don't get stuck with something that's not perfect for you. And all Helix mattresses come with a 10 year warranty and they'll even come to your house and pick it up within 100 days if you don't love it. But I think you will. All of my viewers will get up to $200 off your order and you'll get two super premium pillows for free when you go to helixsleep.com slash Pacman. That's H E L I X sleep.com forward slash P A K M A N. You can also find the link in the podcast notes for this episode. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. 
All right, let's talk to some folks from the audience to hear what is on folks' minds. Another very busy week of news with more upcoming and many different things going on, including great news on uh, vaccinations, covid cases declining, but still many challenges ahead and uh, so many different things going on. We will do it via discord as we have been doing for several months and it is working. It's working well, I would say. David dot com slash discord. Let's go first to Anna from Vietnam. Anna from Vietnam, you're on the air. Oh, hello. Yes, how are you? Oh, my God. I'm so, I'm sorry. I'm getting so nervous. Oh, please don't I'm be good. nervous. How are you? I'm nervous because we've never had a caller from Vietnam before. Yeah, I'm nervous because this is the first time I've ever made a call to anyone kind of famous before. Oh, I was I thought you were going to say this is the first time you've ever spoken to anyone via digital means. I was going to be surprised. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that we are. So what's going but, on? Um, what uh, what can I do for you, Anna? Um, but yeah, I have like heard and I've seen like in some social medias that there, there's been an uprising racism against Asian people in the US. Yes. So I want to know if you acknowledge that and I want to know what are your thoughts about it? Yeah, I I believe that. I mean, listen, I have no personal. I follow the science and the data and a number of uh, well-respected organizations that track hate incidents have seen that since the start of the pandemic in the United States, there have been significantly larger numbers of um, hate incidents against Asian folks up. believed Anna to be because Donald Trump kept talking about China, 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 the China virus, the Kung flu, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that um, I mean, my view is that it's disgusting and it's despicable and that we should be able to simultaneously say China's not being transparent. We have a diplomatic problem with China without fomenting random attacks on Asian people in the street. You know, these are two different things. It's disgusting. Yeah, I understand. And uh, yeah, I just want to make sure that we are not like being super conflicting on this. I know that is not like the best source to get your information from, like from just social media in general, because I have heard a lot of people like having um, like actual thoughts about it. Via like science stuff and paperwork and yeah. things like that, but to be able to like have it so obvious that even the sources that are not supposed to give you like specific and very accurate information about it, like talking about it is quite huge, you know. And um, to me, the America has always been a place where you can be free and. Uh, kind of like achieve your American dream. So mm. to see that happen to my people is very upsetting and very unsettling in uh, a way. I completely agree with you and uh, and understand how, how horrible that must be. Anna, you speak beautiful English. How w- w- tell us about how w- do you did you learn English in school in Vietnam? Oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Um, so this <laughs> <clears throat> because yeah, I formulated my thoughts before calling. Oh, okay. But I'm getting like nervous laugh every no, now. No, you're and doing then. great. You're doing <laughs> great. Anna, listen, I wish my American callers took a moment to formulate their thoughts before they called. 
they could really take a lesson from you. My pleasure. Anna, (laughs) thank you. Anna from Vietnam. Uh, As close to a perfect phone call as I can imagine. Let's go next to Jared from New York. Jared, you're on the air. Hey, David. Um, I know you've interviewed Ken Jennings in the past, which was real cool. Yes. For people who don't know, the many, many time winner of Jeopardy. Yes. I was wondering if um, you've seen any of new episodes where he's taken over as host. Um, And if you have any thoughts on kind of how he's done or what they're going to be doing, what they're going to be bringing on guest hosts. So I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on that. No, I haven't seen an episode of Jeopardy in probably a decade. (laughs) And I haven't watched a live TV show as it's airing other than sports or news for almost as long. So I have no I, I didn't even know he was hosting Jeopardy, to be quite honest. Yeah, he he took over on an interim basis. And it's interesting. It's tough because it's it's hard to kind of get used to his style after seeing Alex for so long. But yeah, yeah, that's all. I just wanted to get your thoughts. Are you like a bit? I know that Jeopardy fans are very adamant, like they 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 watch every episode. Is has this been a huge thing in the Jeopardy community? Oh, yeah, Mm. it's been a very big thing. Um, It's just there's a lot of discussions of is it is people find it a little odd, but is it because they're not used to it? Is it because he's just new and he'd have to get more comfortable or is it because he's just not, you know, a great host? Interesting. Um, so everybody and the, and the guests coming up are interesting. It's people like Anderson Cooper will be guest hosting and Katie Couric, but then you have like um, Aaron Rodgers, who's an NFL quarterback. So they're, they're taking an interesting approach. I would like to guest host. Maybe we can get a campaign yeah, going. I would be interested in doing that. That would be really cool for yeah. sure. All right. Well, let's uh, let's make it happen. It sounds like you're kind of an insider in this community. I think you have the yeah. power. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. All right. Thank you. David. OK, thanks, Jared, from New York. And I'm not kidding. I, I expect to hear from you about guest hosting. Let's go next to Kate from Denmark, Denmark, one of my favorite countries. Kate, you're on the air. Kate from Denmark, please unmute yourself. You are on the air, but you do need to unmute. Oh, sorry. Um, didn't realize. Um, hello. Hi. Um, it's been a while since I've listened uh, to your show because I've been busy, so I'm a little behind. That's okay. Uh, uh, the news, but um, I heard that a new bill is perhaps maybe being passed. There will be making it easier to register to vote in America. How have you heard about that one? No, I haven't. Is this a, this is a federal bill for what automatic voter registration? I know of states that are doing this, but I've not heard of the bill you're talking about, Kate. Um, something familiar to, uh, to it. Uh, it was supposed to make it easier. Uh, also, um, what was it? There was another thing in the bill something like if you donate a certain amount to small um, representatives, uh, it'll be uh, matched up. So if you donate, I think it was ten in dollars, it'll be to seventeen. At least it'll be it would be easier for smaller people like Democrats or Black people and such to actually have a chance instead of just the big representatives. Hmm. Smaller people like Democrats or black people. Kate, I've got to tell you, I don't know what you're talking about, but I will look into it. I can tell you that. Yeah, I just heard. I'm not sure if it was something solid, but 
friend of mine mentioned that they heard it on a, another new show. Um, okay. All right, I will so, look into that. I will look into that. How are things in Denmark, by the way? Uh, they're currently well as, as well as they can be. We just had a snowstorm recently. Okay. Uh, but if it's Corona-wise, we're still on lockdown, and it looks like it might be extended. I see. And are you in are you in Copenhagen or are you elsewhere in the country? Uh, no, I am in the commune uh, called uh, Fjallsø. Did you say it's, so a, it's, it's a it's a commune? Yeah, um, it, it, it's uh, it is, instead of state, it's called commune uh, in Denmark. Ah, okay, but it it is a commune. Yeah. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, commune, commune. And and do you, how uh, is that? Do you like that? Oh, it's basically like a state, like Denmark is separate up in different uh, communes. So the budget is easier to handle because some are farming lands and others are more like big cities like Olvo. So they need different things. Oh, I see. I think we're talking about. So you're not saying what I understand as a commune is something else. OK, I understand. I understand. Yeah. Um, okay, good. Well, I listen, Kate, I appreciate the call. I hope to get back to Denmark uh, as soon as it's safe. Yeah, that would be lovely. Have a nice evening. All right. You too. Kate from Denmark. Um, great to hear from her. Let's go next to uh, Preston from Birmingham. Now, is this Birmingham, Alabama or United Kingdom? Preston from Birmingham. Hi, can you hear me, David? Yes, I can. It sounds like it's Alabama, not not uh, UK. <laughs> yeah, you can tell no accent. That was a qu I was immediately able to deduce that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, David. Well, I took the time to formalize my thoughts for this question. Oh, thank you. Um, I went ahead and wrote a thesis for you that I'll submit for you to review. <laughs> thank um, you. <laughs> so I have a few questions regarding Bernie Sanders' uh, Raise the Wage Act. Sure. Um, so the Raise the Wage Act would add 225 to the federal minimum wage every year through 2025. Right. Um, after that, the wage would be increased by the annual percentage increase of the median hourly wage of all employees. Yes. Um, so my first question about this is, um, why are they deciding to increase the wage by the annual percentage increase of the median hourly wage as opposed to something like adjusting for inflation? Um, and also, why are they um, specifically excluding uh, annual percentage increases in salaries from that calculation? Well, I think that the, the there's a bunch of different stuff there. First of all, um, when we talk about the hourly wage, you're talking about the wage for people paid hourly. So it is right. logical yes. to me that you wouldn't index it to salaried folks who might work 35 or 60 hours per week. That part makes sense. So maybe we can take that piece off the table. I think you would okay. look at you. Would, if you're going to index an hourly wage, you would look at hourly workers. Is that fair? Yes. OK. In terms of doing it to median rather than inflation, I don't know the answer. I've not I've not read about the reason. The reason to do it median rather than mean uh, seems obvious. And, and as pe people have given this example before, if you put 100 people in a room and one of them is Bill Gates, the mean wage will be really high, but the median may not be. 
uh, because so so median rather than mean makes sense. But as far as versus inflation, I've seen a lot of proposals that would index the minimum wage to inflation. I don't know why why it's being done to the median hourly wage, but I would be interested in learning why. Uh, I would too. Um, <laughs> I completely agree with everything you're saying, though. Makes sense. Um, I've got one more question for you about sure. this. Sure. Um, so Sanders is proposing that 225 increase every year through 2025. Um, what's your opinion on this time frame of the rollout? Do you think it would be faster to, or it would be better to increase uh, this wage faster, maybe as a way to uh, benefit low wage earners and allow them to put money back into the local economy during the pandemic? And on the other hand, I understand that small businesses would be hurt by sudden wage increases, as was addressed in the town hall last night. Yeah. Um, so what's your opinion on this time frame? Do you think this is a realistic goal? Do you think it should go faster, slower? So I would love for it to go faster, but I recognize that it's extraordinarily unlikely to be politically viable. And when you look at senators like Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin, who aren't even sure they they want a fifteen dollar minimum wage. The idea of making it a fifteen dollar federal minimum wage tomorrow just seems so unlikely. So I'm not surprised that they're looking at phasing it in over time. Now, of course, by 2025, a fifteen dollar minimum wage is going to be a lot less than it would be today because of inflation, not a lot less. I mean, the U.S. has relatively low inflation, but it's already going to be time to look at the the next step at that point in time. But I, I'm not surprised because um, particularly in places where the state minimum, a lot of states already have minimum wages of 10, 11, 12, 14, even in places where they the the state minimum wage really is in still in the sevens. You're talking about more than doubling it and uh, wh whatever you believe the minimum wage ultimately should be. And I believe it should be much higher doubling the minimum wage will have an economic impact. And so I'm not surprised at all that it would be phased in over time. And uh, if Bernie is behind it, I think that he's he's thought it out well. Yeah, I agree, David. Thank you for the time, uh, taking the time to answer my questions. Hope you have a good day. You too. All right. Very good. Great to hear from uh, from our friends in Alabama, as always. Let's go next to Callie from Wisconsin. Callie from Wisconsin, you're on the air. Hi, how's it going? Hi, how are you? Good. How are you? Doing well. Um, to be honest, I don't really have much of a question. I was just wanting to listen in and I don't know how to operate Discord. So. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, tell me this. What, how are things? You guys in Wisconsin, you have wind power and it gets really cold, right? <laughs> we do and it does. Mm -hmm. And it seems that everything has been winterized and there's no problems. Oh, we are. Uh, we don't have any issues with that really only times that we lose power is i mean as would anyone with a really big storm and stuff like that but nothing associated with wind yeah. power no no wisconsin wyoming montana you know a lot of these places are counterpoints to the claim that the problem in texas is wind power you know that it's not cali and that's uh that's all that's all really really great and otherwise things are okay yeah things are fine no i do want to say i feel i mean there's a lot of people making jokes on social media and it's kind of easy to because we get that amount of snow and, and you know, that temperature all the damn time. But yeah. I mean, I just want to make the point to, you know, people that people, I mean, and I mean, obviously I'm, you know, preaching the choir, you know, this, these people are not prepared for this kind of stuff at all. And right. they, they don't even have the sense right. to deal with it to no fault of their own. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm just terrified for those people. I'm in a lot of uh, plant groups on Facebook and a lot of them are, 
um, just pretty much sacrificing all of their plants because right. their houses are th- their houses are thirty degrees right now, you know, yeah. and they have to evacuate and go somewhere else. And I mean, that's the least of their problems. But the, it's yeah, just, it's it's not the people's fault in Texas. It's it's. I mean, listen, they had a report a decade ago that said, "Hey, here's how to prevent this from happening again," because it happened in 2011, and they just didn't do it. Exactly, exactly. Things that would be so common sense to us. But hey, what um, what growing zone are you in in Wisconsin? Um, I think we'd be five. Oh, OK. That's tough for oh, winter, my- right? I mean, you can't grow much in winter. No, I have. Um, I mean, even in the summer, I have all my plants inside. It's only a couple months that they can be outside anyway, but definitely right. need a supplement. We have right. so overcast here. What's your best producing fruit or vegetable? Um, I don't do I do. I have house plants. Oh, oh, so you're um, not growing that you're oh, not doing. Oh, wow. That's sad. That I would like to see you get into maybe tomatoes or something. I actually did just grow some tomatoes. Oh, okay. some Seed, actually. Yeah. I'm getting those ready for spring. But beautiful. Anyway, I'll have to go talk to more All interesting right. people. Thank Thanks, Callie. Callie from was what's more interesting than tomatoes? I mean, there could be there could be nothing more interesting than that. All right. Let's take a quick break. If you're holding, don't hang up because we're going right back to the phones after this. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. If you are anything like me, you probably aren't thrilled with the idea of going into a doctor's office right now. And thankfully, there is a practical and affordable way to take control of your health and get personalized care from the comfort of your home. It's a service called Steady MD. They're one of our sponsors. You take a quiz, you get matched with a licensed primary care physician who understands your health needs. You have a one hour video call with your new doctor. You establish a meaningful relationship with them. And after that, your doctor is available to you anytime by text, phone or video chat. This is not a random doctor on call. Each doctor at Steady MD has a limited number of patients, so they actually have time to listen to you. You get the personal attention that you deserve. They can do almost everything an in-person doctor can do, perform medical evaluations, talk to you about health concerns, send prescriptions to your home or local pharmacy, and anything they can't do online, they'll quickly set you up with an in-person provider to do things like blood tests, as an example. You don't need insurance. It's only 99 bucks a month with no other fees or copays. There are so many practical advantages to using Steady MD for primary care, and it's also so much more affordable. Go to SteadyMD.com slash Pacman to take the free quiz and see which doctor is right for you. I took their quiz. They matched me with a doctor who specializes in my particular health needs. The doctor they gave me is a really perfect fit for me. Again, that's steadymd.com slash Pacman. There's no risk, no commitment to get started. That's steadymd.com forward slash P-A-K-M-A-N. Most healthy granola bars have sort of a bad reputation. They don't taste good. They don't fill you up. They don't really satisfy your craving. But our sponsor, Monk Pack, has changed granola bars. Monk Pack Keto granola bars are sweet and delicious, soft and chewy, with only 140 calories, one gram of sugar, two net carbs, which makes them work beautifully for the keto or low carb lifestyles. 
They come in flavors like coconut cocoa chip, honey nut, blueberry almond vanilla, my new favorite. I love these because I can grab one anytime. It's quick. It's a great snack. Forget the dry, bland granola bars. Try monk pack keto granola bars. If you don't love them like I do, they'll give you all of your money back. You'll get 20% off when you go to monkpack.com and use coupon code Pacman. That's M U N K P A C K.com. Coupon code Pacman. You can find the link in the podcast notes. Welcome back to the David Pakman show. All right, let's hear from a few more people via discord at davidpackmancom slash discord. We'll go next to Jen from Providence. Jen, you're on the air. Hey, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hi, uh, we've actually spoken a couple of times before. Uh, I live on the border. Beautiful. And, oh, yes. Um, oh, right, right, right. And did you work in Massachusetts? Was it? Yeah, I'll work in mass shop in mass, but then you live in Providence. You go back and forth. Got and, it. Uh, you see my super chats all the time. My screen name's Ferret Queen. Oh, okay, um, beautiful. Yeah, so I actually wanted to talk to you about the uh, super chat I did earlier to get your opinion on it. Uh, it was on a WJAR, your local station too, so you'll probably end up seeing it. Um, there's a grocery store chain in the Northwest called Fred Meyers. Okay. They lost power and they had a lot of food waste. Mm -hmm. So they were actually instructing their employees to destroy as much as they could so yeah. the homeless wouldn't go and take the food. Um, people started taking some anyway, and also people running local food banks because their supplies are so short. Yes. Uh, the guy actually had a dozen, uh, Portland police officers go and stand guard and threaten people to like not be able to take any of this food. Yeah. Um, it's gotten that bad with the corporatism and the uh, girl who did the article said this was a guy who also refused to donate their old computers to local <laughs> schools. I mean, so listen, I, I, I um, in the past, if the story is as you describe it and nothing else, and of course, I'm just going by what you're telling me, it sounds absolutely depraved and disgusting. Now, we've covered in the past how many grocery stores are hesitant to donate food that is maybe on the verge of expiration to food banks because of concerns about liability, which are not their fault. And even that I sort of take issue with, like, can't we figure out some way of making sure that that we can do that because food wastage is such an issue and we want to deal with that liability. It doesn't sound at all from what you're telling me, like that's what's at issue here. And if if it's as you describe and again, I don't know, um, it's disgusting. Yeah, that's why you have better sources than I do. So I was hoping that maybe you could do a little research and before tonight's show, maybe look into that. Well, you know, the uh, the show has it. already been the show has been has been produced for today, but I will look into it. I do want to know more about it. It sounds crazy. Yep. And uh, real quick. Uh, so all this stuff that they're saying about the solar panels being covered in snow and whatnot, they're trying to blame green energy. Yeah. My fiance is union electrician and builds solar farms as okay. part of his job. They these panels are specially equipped to not allow snow to stay built up on them. Right. They're put at a specific angle. They're coated with special uh, like kind of like a wax kind of thing almost. Yep. So that is not the problem. Even of them course. Saying, oh, we're not winterized or whatever. I mean, I grew up in Louisiana. If you get a dusting of snow, it's the apocalypse. Right. 
But yeah, still, they cannot blame these solar panels because they are so well engineered to handle this. Yeah, the solar panel piece I'm less familiar with. I know that the that it is that with when it comes to the wind turbines, they simply haven't made the changes to them that you can make in order to make them uh, impervious to the cold weather like they've done in Montana and Wyoming and Wisconsin and so many other places. You want to hear something funny? Sure. Uh, they set up a couple of wind turbines in one of the nearby towns of Johnston, Rhode Island. And there were people living in this apartment complex that complained it was going to blow the smell of the city landfill towards their apartment complex. Oh, boy. I can't imagine Every- that that's the case, given the uh, the elevation, the, the height at which you put the wind turbines. I've never heard that even alleged before. Well, just everybody was sharing the clip from Futurama, him saying windmills do not work that way. Right. But yeah, them actually thinking it was going to blow the smell other than the wind moving the turbine. I hadn't heard that, but I will check it out. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, David. Uh, you know, you keep seeing my super chats. I watch the show every day. All right. Jen from Providence. Great to hear from you. Very much appreciate that. Let's go next to Scipio from California. Scipio from California. You're on the air. Scipio from hey, California. You're on the air. Hey, David, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hey, this is so cool. I'm a longtime listener, but first time caller. Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, we're like a year into COVID-19 impacting the U.S. Yes. Um, and there's still people that just won't take the guidelines seriously at all. Like just this week, I had to go inside an office and I didn't see one person wearing a mask. And right. I, I don't like know at this point, like what can you do? to try and convince those people it's as serious as it is. Cause I try to share information and citations with friends and family and on my social media, but it just seems like I'm screaming into the void. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on like, sadly at this point, at this point, I don't know that there is much to do. And you know, unfortunately, let me, let me back up. Fortunately, cases are going down. Vaccination is increasing and and hopefully over the next four to six months, we are going to see a dramatic change to the circumstances. Um, Coronavirus may may become seasonal, sort of like the flu, uh, whatever things are going to improve. Most of those people who have not been paying attention to the guidelines all along, they may be responsible for the deaths of others. Most of them, of course, will survive. Uh, And they will be re they will see their actions reinforced because they'll say, look, we got through it. I never wore a mask. I did whatever the hell I wanted. If I got it, it wasn't that bad for me. And unfortunately, we're sort of at the point where I think they're beyond reach and they will benefit from vaccination just as much as everybody who's been well behaved will benefit. It will reinforce their belief that it wasn't that bad ever. And I don't know that there's much that we can do about it. Yeah, that's unfortunately the conclusion uh, yeah. I've sort of arrived at as well. But uh, yeah, I'm glad it's we're at least seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, now, are, regard- are are the bosses not enforcing? Is there not a mask policy or is there one, but it's not enforced? Um, at the places that I've been to, like the person who's sort of running the office, like they've been there and they've also been uh, without a mask. Oh, I see. Um, and like. Yeah, I've seen it where the people who would be in charge of whatever that context is, like they're also not wearing a mask. So got it. it. It's it's like a work culture thing. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's happening in many parts of the country, more in some than others. And eventually they're all going to get bailed. The ones that survive 
um, which, of course, statistically will be most of them will will sort of be bailed out by vaccines. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't know if you uh, I know a lot of people have been talking about the um, snowstorm, but I don't know if you saw that Bloomberg interviewed Dan Woodfin. He's a senior director for Electric Reliability Council of Texas. And he even came out and said, like, this nonsense about wind turbines is just that it's nonsense. And he sort of breaks down like how much energy it makes up and how it doesn't make sense that people are blaming like wind turbines and clean energy for what's going on. I didn't see that, that. but certainly I've read similar analyses and it's very clear that the problem here is not wind turbines. Yeah. 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 Anyways, thanks for uh, taking my call, David. All right. Thanks very much. There's Scipio from California. Great to hear from you. Um, Let's see. Where are we going to go next? There's a lot of very interesting people wanting to get on. Let's go to Darren from the United Kingdom. Darren from the UK. You're on the air. Hi, David. Yes. Uh, Great program. Thank you. So um, I have a lighthearted question for you. All right. Uh, So uh, when Netflix make uh, insurrection, the TV show. Um, who would you cast as uh, Trump, McConnell, and Giuliani? Oh wow, I have no idea. I, Trump, McConnell, and Julie. I don't know. I mean, maybe Trump. It would be Alec Baldwin. I think the the real question is who will cast? Who will be cast as me? And um, I think I would like it to be Joseph Gordon-Levitt. If I'm totally honest with you. Great, cool. Uh, uh, love the show. Uh, yeah, keep the faith. OK, thank you very much. A very, very powerful question. If anybody knows Joseph Gordon Levitt, let's see if we can make that happen. I would like it uh, if he portrayed me. That would be really good. Let's go next to Justin from Orange County, California. Justin Hi, from David, Orange County. Hi. Yes, I can. Hi, David. I was just wondering uh, what your thoughts were on Joe Biden's town hall yesterday and saying that he wasn't planning on canceling the fifty thousand dollars in student debt. Yeah. So I we we talked about this a little bit on a live stream earlier this week. I I appreciated that he was just being direct in his answer. Biden never ran on canceling fifty thousand in student debt. He's not pretending like he's going to. And he just said, I'm, I'm not going to do it now. Some of the some of the reasoning he gave uh, about, well, we want to do K through 12 stuff or this or that. I mean, you can walk and chew gum at the same time. If he was determined to cancel 50 K and do K through 12 funding and improvements, I think he would be able to do it. So I think that some of the reasoning after the fact wasn't wasn't great. But I I was refreshed, as I said before, you, you know, if Trump were to be asked, will you do 50 K? Trump would say, Well, you know, we're thinking about a lot of different things, but you've got to remember that college has really become indoctrination. And for a lot of people, they go to college, they come out and all of a sudden they believe all these horrible things like uh, crying Chuck and crazy Nancy are good people. And we got to vote for crazy Bernie. So I'm not so big on college necessarily, although I went to UPenn and got the best grades. And, you know, I I did so great at the top school and my kids went there. But, you know, 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, these are numbers and we're looking at them very strongly. And we'll come back to that in some period of time. Like that would be Trump's answer. Right. Biden said, yeah, no, I'm not going to do the 50 K. And that's direct. It's consistent with what he said all along. He's not bamboozling anybody. So I appreciated the directness, the honesty. I wish his policy were a different one. So you stand behind the cancellation personally? I don't know about full cancellation. I have my doubts about full cancellation of all student debt. I do think that um, the the reason I'm more partial to partial would be that 
we have a situation where, sure, college is optional, but increasingly with more and more jobs requiring college and the cost of college going up and up and up, it's it's not totally clean to me just to say if you choose to go to college, then you should, ju you know, just that's it. You've chosen and you should be responsible for the full debt at the same time to say everybody just gets a full cancellation of all student debt. I'm not there, so I'm for a partial cancellation and I've seen a lump number of different plans that would structure it in different ways. Um, I don't know exactly whether I would put a dollar amount on it or a percentage or how I would do it. OK, that makes sense. Thank you, David. All right. My pleasure. A lot of meaty, substantive questions coming in today. Let's see who we want to talk to next. How about a read from Milwaukee? Read from Milwaukee. You're on the air. Hey, David, how are you? I'm doing well. Um, So I've actually got uh, some constructive criticism for you. Beautiful. Um, so it, this has to go back to uh something that you said about i forget it was a fox interview about china uh biden about how they were how biden wouldn't respond to um wouldn't yeah let me let me explain it so the 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 clip was correct me if i'm wrong um that someone someone uh, alleged that if china nuked us biden would do nothing yeah yeah um, I, I, I think the way that you said that, like you, you said, if China nuked us, you know, when they talk about nuclear aggression, mm -hmm. um, generally that means like, you know, just showing steps of, you know, nuclear tests, stuff like that. At least that's my opinion. Um, I, and I think sometimes you, you get a little hyperbolic with stuff, Okay. uh, specifically in that case. Um, yeah. Anyway, so just thought I would uh, share that. All right. Is, for, was that uh, it? Thank, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah. No, I think. Um. I mean, listen. I I responded to it as I saw it. I saw it as it was being alleged that Joe Biden is so weak on China, he would let them nuke us and wouldn't even do anything. And obviously, I thought that that was a ridiculous assertion to make. But I'll review the video again. Thank you. All right. Very good. Thank you for the call. That's going to do it for today. I'm sorry I wasn't able to talk to everybody, but we did talk to lots of interesting people. We'll take a quick break and we will take calls again in the future. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. One of our sponsors is Privacy, a free service that protects your credit and debit card. I use Privacy every time I buy something online. I installed the app on my phone and the Privacy desktop browser extension. Now, when I pay for anything, Privacy autofills a virtual credit card number. The money's taken out of my bank account. I don't have to give out my real card number or banking info to anyone. You can create and delete the virtual cards anytime. I especially love it for free trials because I can destroy the virtual card number as soon as I give it to the company and I know I won't be charged in the future. Privacy also has a feature called shared cards, which makes it easy to split payments with friends. Parents can manage a virtual card for their kid with spending limits. Businesses can manage virtual cards 
for employees to use for company expenses. There are premium plans available, but privacy's regular service is totally free to use. And right now they'll give you five dollars just for signing up. When you go to privacy.com slash Pacman, you can find the link in the podcast notes. The David Pacman Show at davidpacman.com. All right, let's get into audience questions for the week. First one, David, what do you think the impact is of Donald Trump's acquittal at his second impeachment? This is this is a good question. You know, there were tons of hot takes after Trump was acquitted for the second time last Saturday about now what? What is the impact? And there were some articles saying Trump is acquitted but weakened and others saying Trump is revitalized. I think that all of those takes are basically BS in the sense that the acquittal was a foregone conclusion all along. We knew that there were not going to be 17 Republican senators willing to vote to convict convict witnesses or no witnesses, evidence or no evidence. You could have a signed letter from Trump saying I deliberately incited the riot and planned to do it all along and they still would have acquitted Donald Trump. So I don't think the conviction or acquittal itself, if it had been a conviction, it'd be different. I don't think the acquittal itself really changes that much. I think it's too soon to say what the now post second impeachment Trumpian movement is is uh, going to do or the direction it's going to go, because we're really in uncharted territory here. Trump has said he wants to stay in politics. Trump has talked about will be back rumors about a 2024 run. It might happen. It might not happen. Trump could just be totally bored with politics by then. Trump might just be exhausted. He may feel like he's too old for I mean, just who knows? It's really, really difficult to know. But the most interesting aspect of the acquittal for the immediate is how does it impact Republicans in 2021 gubernatorial races and how does it impact Republicans in 2022? The people who voted to acquit uh, and the people in the House who so some of the senators who voted to acquit and everybody in the House who voted not to impeach has an election in 2022. And that's still a long time. The American political memory is quite short in many ways, um, but it will be a real question as to whether there are repercussions to those who were on what I would argue is obviously the wrong side when it comes to impeachment. Will Republican voters hold them accountable or not? Most Republican voters for now seem to be very much behind Trump. So there may there may be no accountability. And you could see in 2022 the most Trumpian brown nosers, people uh, in the Senate, but also the real sycophants who are only here because of Trump in the House, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Madison Cawthorn, Lauren Boebert and some others. If they get reelected in 2022, which is still a ways from now, but the campaigns are starting in the next seven, eight months, uh, unbelievably, if they get reelected, it is a real sign that that faction has won out in the Republican Party. And then what happens in terms of a possible split? We talked last Friday, I think it was about 100 former Republican officials, many from the Bush era, some from Trump, others who are saying we're leaving the Republican Party and we're going to start a traditional conservative party. If the Trumpian wing is cemented as the wing, sort of like when we talk about the virus, you've got the main variant and then what else? You've got these other variants. 
But then those other variants can take over and become the dominant variants. If Trumpian uh, uh, politics becomes the dominant Republican strain, you may see traditional Republicans split off. At the same time, the reverse could happen. You could see a rejection of these green Bobert Cawthorn types, and maybe they will end up splitting off. What seems very clear to me is that at least as of right now, if Trump wants the nomination in 2024, it is essentially his for the taking. We have new polling that tells us about that, and we're going to talk about that uh, in an upcoming segment. One other thing to think about as far as Trump goes is that historically voters don't like losers. Trump has lost and he has shed some support among Republican voters. He still has a lot of support, but he has lost some of it. The people that stay are more likely to be the real diehard radicals. And if you see that willingness to follow Trump elsewhere, which right now is at 64 percent of Republicans, if it drops to 50, if it drops to 40, if it drops to 30 by 2022, that is going to dramatically change what's possible in terms of uh, upcoming elections for Donald Trump. And that's actually the next question. So let, let's go right into that. Uh, another question I got was, what do Republicans do if Donald Trump runs in 2024? Based on the numbers right now, with Trump leading a 2024 primary poll, Republicans do nothing. It, this, as of right now, this is Donald Trump's for the taking. Now, of course, depending on what happens in 2022, and depending on what happens with polling around Trump versus non-Trump Republicans beyond 2022, things could change. But right now, Donald Trump in a recent poll of 2024 primary voters, Trump has 53 percent support. Second place is Pence with 12 percent support. Third place is Don Jr. with I think it was somewhere around 6 percent support. So this is a difficult position to be in if you are a a non Trump Republican, because based on the math right now, the 2024 nomination is Trump's if he wants it. He will be 78 years old at the time. It's unclear what criminal or civil issues he will have in the state of Georgia, in the state of New York. Who knows? Four years is a very, very long time. But what do Republicans do if Trump runs in 2024? As of right now, it doesn't seem there's anything they can do other than saying we're taking our ball and going home, meaning fine, if it's going to be Trump in the Republican Party, we'll start a third party. And that's what some former uh, Republican officials have been saying. But the 2024 field, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves, but the 2024 field likely is going to wait to see if Trump makes an announcement about running other than overtly anti-Trump Republicans. Like if Mitt Romney were to run for the uh, nomination in 2024, I don't think he will. I think Romney's passed it. But if Romney were Romney's been an anti-Trump Republican for a long time, I think he would just do it. But people like Lindsey Graham, Chris Christie, I don't know, because he was against Trump. Then he was with him. Then he seems to be against them. The people who are sort of aligned with Trump are going to wait and take a lead from Trump. Right now, the Republican base is Donald Trump's base. This is just a reality. Uh, something like 85 percent of Republicans want Trump to stay involved in politics. Sixty four percent of Republicans, if Trump left and said, follow me to my new party, would go with him. Um, and right now you have uh, a situation where the Republican base is Donald Trump's base. That could change. Moderates are in this position where 
I'm using the term moderates carefully, by the way, so-called moderate Republicans are in a position where they don't really know whether 2022 will be a reinforcement of the Trumpian wing or a rebuke of the Trumpian wing. And if indeed the Trumpians win again in 2022, and if indeed Donald Trump chooses to run in 2024, you may see the so-called moderates split from the party. And that could have delightfully disastrous consequences for the Republican Party. We'll see. Um, I think the focus for now should be uh, starting to think about 2022. David, where do you believe the ideology of Trumpism comes from? Is it a discernible historic ideology? This is a really, really great question. There's been quite a bit written about what exactly is the origin of this ideology? Now, aside from the we'll get to the academic literature. If you ask me, like, how do I describe the ideology of Trumpism? It's really an anti ideology. It's an ideology not based on policy. It's an ideology based on almost like a perverted postmodernism focused on just owning the libs, angering people on the left, faux populism. That's really what it's been about. And there's a lot of academic work about this that sort of aligns with what I'm suggesting. Um, it's kind of like an amalgam of conspiracies, skepticism of government, unless it's your guy and a desire to exact revenge and impose punishment on those who you see as your political enemies. Some call it postmodern conservatism. Um, postmodern conservatism is almost like it. Some describe it as a reaction to what the right sees as bad identity politics. OK, postmodern conservatism, where you talk about alternative facts. The truth can be whatever we want it to be. The reality about what we are told, what is a, what is a lie and what is the truth? It's all subject to who is the right trying to embarrass or insult or own. And I think postmodern conservatism is a very interesting way to kind of name the Trumpian ideology. Mark Blythe calls it global Trumpism. And Matthew Goodwin has used the, the phrase national populism. It's like a nationalistic populism. We've talked about right wing nationalism versus left wing nationalism. I'm sorry, a right wing and left wing populism where the rhetoric is often very similar and people start to think, oh, I'm a Bernie person. But a lot of the rhetoric sounds similar from Trump. Maybe I'll go with Trump. And then you see the solutions are stop people from s whole countries and China this and China that and Antifa Black Lives Matter. They're going to take your house. They're going to take your kids. They're you know all this different stuff. So that's another part of it. There's this kind of like my truth world that is very important to Trumpian ideology. Personal experience is what matters. Anecdote is what matters rather than empirical thinking and, and the scientific process, public discourse, academia. Those things don't matter in this ideology. Uh, I think that the the other part of this that can be tricky is Donald Trump appealed to a lot of people who were previously apolitical. And so when we look at the way that Trumpian ideology and again, I get I understand it's sort of an anti ideology, but to the extent that it's an ideology, all of these people stuck to it. Oh, trade. Yeah. Trump will fix trade and we're being treated unfairly. 
These were not people really convinced to switch to that from something else. A lot of these folks never had a political ideology and Trump brought it down to the lowest, coarsest level we've arguably ever seen. Politics, which was too boring for a lot of these people, all of a sudden was kind of interesting. And it was never going to be about policy or procedure or science or empiricism. These were folks who never cared about this stuff before. And they were in it essentially for the memes and the slogans uh, and the mottos. And uh, that's all it was ever going to be for them. And now the question is, do they stay involved in politics or as politics gets, quote, boring again, do they just bail? And that is as important. The absence of an ideology is a huge part of the Trumpian ideology. And I think we need to understand that. And the question as to whether those folks remain involved with Trump gone. It's still a question mark. We've seen Trump uh, lose some support through attrition from the Republican Party over the last month, but he still has a lot of it. It's just going to be a question we have to wait to really be able to answer in full. Send me your thoughts and let me know how how would you characterize Trumpian ideology? We've got a great bonus show for you today as well. The show continues. If you are a member, sign up at joinpacman.com and you can use the code secret code, new code. OK, listen to this. YouTube 50. YouTube 50 new coupon code, which you can use at joinpacman.com. We'll see you on the bonus show.